there, and welcome back to Season 2, Episode 41 of the Clarity Podcast. This podcast is all about providing clarity, insight, and encouragement for life and mission. And my name is Aaron Santemeyer, and I'm going to be your host. Today, we have the phenomenal opportunity to have with us Pastor Doug Seaman, um, who pastor Central Assembly in Cumberland, Maryland, um, friends of Heather and I, and Josiah and Isabel, and uh, him and his wife, Pam, uh, love spending time with them. They're just great, great to hang out with. And uh, we, I just want, I wanted to have an episode on spiritual warfare, and I was thinking of who I could invite onto the podcast, and Pastor Doug was the first name that came to mind. And so just get to sit down with him, learn from him. I've learned a lot from him in the past, and uh, it was just a, a great time to sit and learn and, uh, yeah, glean from his years of wisdom and ministry. Um, Pastor Doug um, travels internationally. He's in Pakistan and Tanzania, and, and he, he was just coming back from a trip in Panama, and just learned so much from him, and uh, he's got great stories and uh, great wisdom. I do want to ask you to continue to send in your questions for Back Channel of Foth, and that's where I sit down with Dick Foth, and uh, listeners send in questions, and we get to spend time with Dick can learn from him of his years of wisdom in, in ministry. And uh, so you can send those to my email address, which is in the show notes. I do want to thank our sponsor for today's episode, which is agwmafrica.org for an increasingly redeemed and transformed Africa. 50 countries, 257 training centers, 404 missionaries, and 79,106 indigenous churches. Discover what you can do and how you can be engaged at agwmafrica.org. Well, there's no time better than now to get started, so here we go. Greetings and welcome back to the Clarity Podcast. So excited to have my uh, pastor and friend, um, Doug Seaman, with us today. Pastor Doug, so, so great to have you with us. Thank you. I'm absolutely delighted to be here and uh, an honor. I hear about your podcast all the time and I'm honored. <laughs> well, it's uh, an honor to be here um, with you today. Can you just go ahead and share a little bit about yourself, Pastor Doug, before we jump into some of the questions? I'm originally from Pennsylvania. I grew up in the country on a gravel road, didn't have many other folks around us, ended up in the ministry and was more surprised by that than probably anybody else in my life and been a pastor for a long time, too many years to mention, and has started traveling internationally about a dozen, 15 years ago. Yeah. And that's kind of where I am today. Yeah. You're a gifted pastor and evangelist, and um, I love to hear you share God's word and and to be with you when you minister. We've got that you came to Madagascar. We got to spend some time together, and lots of stories to tell from from those trips, <laughs> um, for sure. But how how did God call you in, into ministry, Pastor Doug, and specifically in evangelism and, and and the pastoral ministry? Thank you. He did call me. I I was at church. We. As a family, we came into a spirit-filled church just as I turned 16, and what brought me in was an encounter with the Holy Spirit. So I went to a weekend revival, had no idea what was going on, but on that Sunday evening, had a powerful encounter with the Holy Spirit, a wonderful Jewish, Jewish spirit-filled evangelist. And about a year or two later, I started attending that church, especially in midweek services, and we had maybe 50 people there in the midweek, and the pastor was up on the platform. There was worship, and then he said, hey, I'd like to hear some testimonies tonight. Well, I had been there enough to know what that meant. So I stood up about halfway back in the church. I was there by myself. I stood up and simply said, you know, I'm so glad to be here tonight. The Lord helped me. I saw an accident on my way 
when you're 16 and just starting to drive, that was a yeah. big deal. I had seen a car crash and I said, I just know the Lord's with me. And I sat down hmm. and nothing happened for four or five seconds. And he looked back and he said, young man, the Lord has called you into the ministry. Hmm. So uh, immediately I'm struggling because I have no idea what that term means. I've not heard that term. Yeah. And I didn't know it. He was an, a much older gentleman. And I had just such awe of him. It was in awe of him. I couldn't ask. So for weeks, I tried to figure out what that meant. Was God going to call me on the phone? Yeah. Uh, did somehow, was there somebody very special that knew when this happened and they called you on behalf of God? Yeah. So I just started reading the Bible, which is all I had known to do. And little by little, God showed me the path. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Pastor Doug, we're going to spend some time today talking about spiritual warfare. And um, when, when, you, when I say that spiritual warfare, what comes to your mind? <laughs> well, there's that that came to my mind when I was 17, 18, 19, 20. And then there's what comes to my mind today. Uh, and, and I still see that, you know, I've been involved in ministry that is sometimes visibly engaged in seeing people set free. But when I was younger, uh, what it meant to me was, oh, big time, you know, yeah. lots of very loud praying and shouting. And, but I think it has to start, the understanding of spiritual warfare has to start within. I have to hmm. understand that my enemy is my flesh, hmm. that it's, it's my own lust, James says, that leads me away. He doesn't mention anything about Satan. That mention anything about demons there. So I have to understand that spiritual warfare is there. And that's where I have to engage. That's where I have to be constantly vigilant and observant. But spiritual warfare ultimately means Jesus wins. Mm -hmm. And we have to choose whether we're going to identify with him whom we cannot see presently, or we're going to identify with someone or something else. In, in that confidence that you speak of, is that something you've always had? Because um, that confidence that Jesus wins, you know, we read, um, we, we know the Bible, we know, we know the story. At the same time, yeah. I've been in places in Africa where it's in front of my face and uh, I know what the book says, but my hair's on my back or whatever are, are standing up. So that confidence you speak of, is that something that's developed over time and your ability to walk in that? Yeah, yeah. Um... Uh, here's how it all started. Okay. I'd been a pastor for a year. Uh, prior to that, I was an evangelist. So you mentioned earlier, my gifts as pastor and evangelist. And so I've just kind of always struggled really with both of those realities and trying to fit. I never feel like I fully fit as a pastor, but I was a pastor for a year, small church in Pennsylvania. And a friend called me. He lived about two hours away. I knew him through my parents and he called and he said, I've been praying, and the Lord said that I'm to come and see you, and you're going to pray for me, and the Lord is going to deliver me. Hmm. Um, that, that was news to me, certainly, and it was challenging news. Yeah. So I said, okay, I'll tell you what. I'm not sure I understand this, but I'll pray and fast for three days. I want you to do the same. Then if you're willing to come and see me, I'm willing to pray. So he did. We started praying. Um, he came into our little church just him and I on, on a weekday and knelt down at the altar. We started praying. I prayed for him for an hour. I didn't know what I was praying or how it 
just praised the Lord and, and gave God thanks. And I turned. I, I had begun to feel something inside. It was strange, but I just had this sense that he was right. God wanted to set him free. And I was walking back and forth across the front of the church in front of where he was knelt down. And I turned. I don't remember what I said, but I believe it was oriented towards the blood of Jesus. And in that moment, we switched time zones, zip codes. We switched realities and universes, and it was a different world. Hmm. And I remember calling Pam after about a half an hour and saying, hey, would you pray? <laughs> and would you call some other people to join me in prayer? And it wasn't that I was overwhelmed by what was happening. It was I was overwhelmed by my lack of confidence. I mean, hmm. I knew what God was doing, but I didn't know how to hear what I was supposed to do. Hmm. At the end of the second hour, there was breakthrough. Hmm. And so he went his way, and I said to the Lord, okay, I need to learn something. Now, here, here's an interesting follow-up to the story. A couple of days later was Thanksgiving, and we had friends over to our house. And up on our buffet was a shelf that had some very large dinnerware. By large, I mean thick. It was thick glass. Mm -hmm. we, we literally were sitting down to Thanksgiving. So we're in our 20s. Pam has made this great Thanksgiving dinner. Our friends are there, they're ministry friends. And as we're sitting down, a glass comes off of one of those shelves. There's a, there's a railing, so the glasses can't yeah. fall off. So it, it somehow jumps over the railing, and it comes down. And of all places to hit, it's able to hit on the edge of our table, about three feet away. And it throws the glass up over all the food. Hmm. And wow. in that moment, the Holy Spirit whispered to me and said, this is real. Hmm. And I thought, okay, so I went into this other place. I need to know that this place is there, yeah. and I need to understand this place. Wow. Wow. And so in the, the current climate of the United States and um, you know all the things going on, spiritual warfare, what are you, what are you seeing today? Well, you know, you've seen it. You mentioned the part of the world that you live in and have lived in for most of your adult life. In the East, it seems like people, and I'm speaking very generally here. For sure. This is not a theological assessment. Right. But just generally, in my experience, you can attest to this better than I, people are very interested in the, I guess you would say, having, I wrote it down, the best power. Hmm. But in the West, people are interested in having the most power. Hmm. That's good. And so because they're so focused on the best power, we're able to take the gospel to them, and they will oftentimes in service, evangelism, outdoor meetings, or over a period of time, they'll begin to assess, hmm. is what I have the best power? Hmm. And that doesn't happen in the West. We don't go through that process of assessing what it is that we've got. Yeah. We just want more of it. Yeah. And so I think around the world, is there a spiritual unveiling or revealing? Yeah, I think both that for those of us who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we see something happening that we've known for many, many, many years, many generations. Yeah. And that is that as the time of the Lord's return gets closer, 
we always believed that there would be a refining of the church, a revival within the church. And I, I've never said that it was going to be big. I don't yeah. know what size it'll be, but we see it. We yeah. also see, at least in the West, a genuine fascination with that which is not only dark, but demonic. Hmm. And how did, what does that look like on an everyday life as far as the fascination with the demonic? Yeah, lots of people. For example, I started, yeah. I'll back up here. Last Friday, I got a phone call. My secretary got a phone call, and she said, lady was on the phone screaming. My son uh, started visiting our neighbor. Our neighbor is a practicing witch involved in witchcraft, and he, she led him in how to give his soul to the devil, and he's 12 years old, and, and we're just overwhelmed. What do we do? And I, I don't know how many pastors or evangelists in America have that happen. Yeah. Um, I know it's not, in my experience, it's not a majority. For sure. And we who have that happen are, I believe, a small minority. But it happens to me pretty regular, at least once every two weeks or so. Hmm. I get a phone call or a visit. And so I said, okay, later today, bring him in. So she brings him in, and he's actually 14, and... I got to be careful how I say this because I don't know how many people will forward our right. conversation today and I don't need it to end up back there. But um, when she brought him, I realized that we had two people that had problems, okay. not yeah. just one. Yeah. And so what does it look like? It looks like people get entangled, people get overwhelmed. And then, yeah, it can turn into the same kind of thing. She described activities that he was, or, let me put it a different way, behaviors that he was exhibiting that appeared to be um, beyond human yeah. or certainly not human in the way we perceive it. Now, I don't ever experience in a one-on-one -on -one session praying with somebody, I don't ever experience the kinds of things that some people have read about or see described in the New Testament. I don't, mm. I just choose not to permit it. Mm-hmm. I want to be careful how I say that. Now, you know that I see that stuff outside in yeah. outdoor meetings. Yeah. And I don't know. When I started praying with people one-on-one, -on -one, I just talked to the Lord about it. I, I, number one, I'm too busy. I don't have time for lots of – if you let Satan bring the circus, I guarantee you he'll bring the circus. Hmm. And I don't have hmm. time for that, hmm. number one. Number two, I don't think it does the person I'm praying for any good. Hmm. If, you, if we read Jesus' encounters – in, in the in the gospels and there are a lot of them again and again we see him doing that just shutting it down like shut up literally be quiet and come yeah. out uh when a, often we read when a crowd began to gather he would say hmm. okay listen this is not going to be the nothing that satan's doing is going to be the center of attention it's just hmm. not going to happen That's a good word. so what does it look like I, um i think it looks different in different places and with different people, but it's always manifested in unrighteousness. Hmm. Hmm. And what's that not letting them, letting him bring the circus. Is that a lesson you've learned the hard way or is there, there's a story there with that one? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Could you share that story with us? I've got some stories. I was doing a, an event down uh, one of my trips in Nicaragua years ago, we did a tour up, up through the north. And so we did two night events 
two night outdoor events and I don't know how many we did, but we hit, I think we hit every city in, in Nicaragua and we would do two nights and then travel. And so then uh, skip a night. And then the next two nights, we did that for three weeks. Just, yeah. well, one night I, we were in a, um, uh, the best way to describe it is a community center that was bigger than a gymnasium. Mm. And so I don't know how many people were there, a thousand or 1500. And, um, at the end, this lady, I mean, we've already dismissed, and this lady comes running in the door. There's still maybe 100 or two, 300 people milling around. She comes running in the door crying and literally stops right in front of us. I'm there, my, my translator, Pastor Salvador, and some others. And through the translator, she says, I heard you preaching at the bus stop. Hmm. Now, the bus stop was like a kilometer or so away, so more than a half a mile. And she said, when I heard you give the invitation to follow Jesus, I started running. Hmm. And here I am. Well, so this is 10 or 15 minutes. Now we're down to just a few dozen people. Yeah. And so I say to her through the translator, okay, so what do you want? And she said, I want to be set free. And when people say that, even I still always think, what are you talking about? So I start praying. And the moment I say in the mighty name of Jesus, she screams and falls straight down at my feet, not like slain in the spirit, just collapses at my feet. Well, now there's going to be, and there is a challenge. There, yeah. There's, it's not me. It's her going through this. It's anytime your body encounters the spiritual reality, whether it's God or the enemy, your body will respond. It can be tears. Hmm. It can be uh, uh, trembling. It can be absolute silence, hmm. but your body will react. I guarantee it. Yeah. The soul is also reacting and the spirit's reacting, but we can't see them as easily. But that body of hers began to react. And I mean, it's just all kinds of reactions. So I'm looking down at her thinking, okay, you know, now you got stuff flying all over my feet. And, um, and I look up and there's not a soul in this building, but me and her. Wow. Everybody else went out. <laughs> Even my team left and left me stuck there with her. Wow. Wow, wow. But wow. in about 10 or 15 minutes, she was free, and that was the last I saw of her. Wow. 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 So, so have I learned these things through yeah. experience? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you talk about um, you just shared about a team. So as you teach and guide um working with a team and, and as you teach people, um, how do you what what are some lessons you try to some key point lessons you you share with them? If Satan can't pull you, he'll push you. Hmm. Can you Everybody, all you missionaries, all you believers, listen to this. Write that down. If Satan can't push you, he'll pull you. And let me explain what I mean by that real quick. There are just as many demonic entanglements with arrogance as there are with addiction. Hmm. And sometimes when people get set free from an addiction, let's let's take, for example, here in our part of the world, heroin. So yeah. they're, you know, they're all messed up and they're whole, they live in a, a different world. They talk a different language. They run around with different people. And now they've gotten saved and Jesus sets them free. Some of those folks end up never really experience true freedom because they never recognize hmm. that Satan has lots of weapons. 
Hmm. And he finds our vulnerability. He doesn't care whether it's your weakness and your attraction to addiction or if it's your attraction to feeling good about yourself. And what I mean by that is an exaggerated feeling Hmm. about yourself, arrogance. Yeah. And so one of the things that scares me about what some people call deliverance ministry, I don't believe I have a deliverance ministry, even though our international ministry is called Grave Deliverance, <laughs> but I, I don't seek people out to be set free from the demonic. I seek people out to be set free from sin and yeah. self. But whenever people come out of part of that, but not all of that, the enemy's still at work. Hmm. And he doesn't care how, how strong we are now and how much we rail against addiction or drugs. We see this all the time in politicians, you know, because they're no longer doing A, B, or C. They're going to preach yeah. to everybody else. And then sometimes we find out a month or a year or 10 years later that they were doing X, Y, Z. Yeah. And so if the devil can't push you into an addiction, he'll pull you into arrogance. Hmm. Uh, And I could list, you know, you can put anything else in the blank there you want. But the biggest danger with all of this, with spiritual warfare, is that we get focused on the warfare. Yeah. We got the spirit. Hmm. Man, the warfare is inside. It's with with my flesh, my desire to to do all things in my own strength and power. Hmm. And so how do you bring yourself back to that, Pastor Doug, that you don't get so caught up? in the warfare part of it? Well, I still pray with 14 year olds here in my office who are <laughs> selling their souls to the devil, and, uh, convinced that they can't be saved. And, uh, it, you know, fasting, Isaiah 58 is so clear about the power of fasting in relationship, especially in relationship to spiritual warfare. Hmm. And I, I believe that fasting primarily has to do with food. But I do agree with a lot of the, the modern take on it that we can fast other things or give up, you know, those yeah. other things. But it really is, if you read what some people call the mystics, you mm-hmm. know, those that um, even they may not, they certainly don't have to be Catholic, but people who who lived what we would consider like a monkish life, you know, yeah. they they really were in a in a secluded spot in their spiritual life. Um, oh, um, oh, I can't think of the lady's name. I recommended her to our church a while back. The the French, and she's actually called French Christi- Christian mystic from the fifteen or sixteen hundreds. Um, her stuff is is terrific on. Um, humbling yourself, hmm. you know, just doing the kinds of things that are ordinary and, and every day. Um, when we begin to exalt ourselves or allow others to do it, uh, and I see a lot of American preachers, pastors, and evangelists who they cross a line that I'm not comfortable with. They, they, yeah. you know, maybe they're okay with it, but, right. and that stuff leads to bad places. Yeah. Pastor Doug, um, can you share, uh, have you had some mentors in your life and um, can you share about some of the spiritual mentors that you've, uh, that have helped you along the way? Yeah. Listen, none of us are anywhere with the Lord that we didn't have a bunch of mentors. Yeah. And I would say that for a lot of them, I didn't even know, uh, probably until 10 years ago, I didn't even understand the concept, I don't think. Hmm. Um, partly because of how I grew up, partly because of my temperament, 
uh, outside of public ministry, I tend to be an introvert. I don't tend to be, I am, I'm just an introvert. And I didn't know that growing up. My dad is an extrovert or was, he's since passed away, but he, on a scale of one to 10, he was an 11. Okay. Uh, and I married a woman who was an 11 on a scale of one to 10. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> and my dad was into athletics. He was a collegiate wrestler and everybody in our world knew him and, and just was in awe of him. So my world for me personally, going down kind of a different path from the time I was 16 uh, plus, we lived very remote, you know, nobody, we didn't have neighbors. And um, it, it, I worked for our family business, and there were no other employees. So mm. just everything contributed to me just, you know, doing it myself or just yeah. learning having to I had, I had two sisters, but no brothers. Um, so part of that played into it. But as I looked back in my 40s, I thought, Oh, no, I've had, I've had mentors. So when I, when I prayed for my first person, I told you the story about earlier yeah. in Pennsylvania 30 years ago, I sent a letter to a guy. I got, I got a couple of books by um, Frank and Ida Mae Hammond. They wrote one in hmm. the 70s that I didn't know was really popular called Pigs in the Parlor. Hmm. And they listed all these different demons. Nobody had ever done that. They were like names for all these demons. And it was, wow, I read that book and thought, oh, my gosh, how, how am I going to? I can't know all this. But they had a second book called The Children's Bread, and I don't think it's even available anymore, but it was outstanding. Mm. And I sent them a letter. I said, uh, dear Brother Hammond, I see your ministry. I'm, I'm in deep respect and awe of it. And I believe the Lord has called me to come in and serve under you. Just do anything you want me to do so I can learn from you. And a bunch of other stuff. He sent me back a letter, personal letter. And said, dear Doug, thank you. Glad you are where God has put you. No, stay mm. where you are. So in, in mentoring me, he helped tremendously in just one letter by saying, and he, he really fleshed it out as to why. Mm. And that letter spoke to me for years that I was where I was supposed to be. Wow. And then other people came in and listen, nobody, I don't believe there are mentors when it comes to spiritual warfare, except the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, because it's so personal, you know, yeah. and it's so spiritual. But those that came into my life really spoke into me in Bible school, Leonard Ravenhill came, you want to talk about getting, getting your clock clean when you're 19 or 20 years old and that old guy comes. <laughs> and light you up. I mean, it's like, oh man, this guy, I didn't think you could be as mean and tough in the pulpit as that guy was in two <laughs> services. Wow. Oh my gosh. So th there was that, but then also people, you know, my former district superintendent, Dr. Roden yeah. and um, his, his help along the way. And I could, I hate to talk about anybody that's alive because I, I would leave out so many. Yeah, for sure. But the books, you know, oh man, all those great books from uh, people in the 15, 16, 1700s that they faced it. You know, yeah. they, they were being persecuted by the church. Yeah. Like that gang over in Europe, man, they were, as soon as you had your own copy of the Bible, you were an enemy, not to the devil. You're an enemy to the church. Come on. Yeah. How yeah. bad is that? Yeah, for sure. Can you share, um, you know, we, we were together this summer, you shared a story, your story about being in Pakistan 
and um, and all that took place there. And uh, and then uh, I think what you shared was Pastor Paul I, you know, just his interpretation of what went on. And when you minister, how, you're building com- obviously obviously you have confidence in him. How do you build those relationships that you're ministering with someone and you, yeah, you learn from them in that environment also? Time, we all know that timing is such a big deal with God and in the kingdom of God. I had Dr. Paul I come here and speak 20, 20 some years ago and here in Western Maryland at our church, 21, I think years ago, I had been asked by one of our other pastors. I had never met him, but they told me a story. I said, Absolutely. So for those of you who may not know, he was the general superintendent in Vietnam, general superintendent of the Assemblies of God in Vietnam for many years. But aside from that, his story of being imprisoned for the gospel time and time again and spending a total of 10 and a half years hmm. in prisons. And oh, my gosh, some of some of that, some of the part of the story about being in prison is the best part. Hmm. I mean, what he went through in prison and what he went through when he wasn't in prison. Well, for many years, then I would have him come once every year or so, and I would see him at Assemblies of God events. But he would say, when I started traveling internationally in 08, he would say to me, I want you to go with me now to Asia, go with me to Asia. And I just never felt a pull there. I, I'm kind of the reluctant international traveler and evangelist. <laughs> not, not really not big all, on this. No, that's right. It's not all it's cracked out to be. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, I have to raise all the money, you know, yeah. for every event we do and, and have to go. And anyways, so that never worked out. But two years ago, I invited him to go with me. We did do one or two, or we appeared at the same event in Central America a number of years ago. But two years ago, I asked him to go to Tanzania with me. We were doing, we were uh, sponsoring the National Evangelist Conference, hmm. and I wanted him to speak. So he went, well, we had, had a good time, and God really did something with both of us. So, yeah, he's traveled with me several times now. And this past March, I asked him, uh, I had invited him to go with me to Pakistan. And our second night outdoors, um, I forget the name of the city we were in, but um, we had probably 15,000 people there, and it was an odd night. He had told me the night before, listen, I think, I think there are people praying against us. Well, that's a big deal to him, coming from yeah. Vietnam and having been, for those of you who know Dr. Paul, he was a Buddhist monk, and prior to that, he was a witch doctor or vice versa, I forget. But before he got saved, he, he was pretty good at both of those. <laughs> and he, he knows the enemy really, really well, much better than I do. And so on the second night, things began to get really, really strange. Um, I saw the wind start blowing and it, in an unusual way. But what I'm watching is that crowd. We're on the platform watching the crowd, and I can see them looking odd. They're, they're mm-hmm. recognizing that there's a different atmosphere. So the wind is blowing and it's trying to pick these carpets up all over the platform and then all over the, the floor or the, the yard, the grounds are carpets. That's the way they do it there. And these carpets are coming up and they're flying off of the platform. This one cup peels off the platform and it's like it's flung out over the hmm. people. So then they make us all stand up and wave the Pakistan flag because this is some big Pakistan holiday. And we're just like, no, nah, it's not a big deal. Not really too exciting to wave the Pakistani flag as <laughs> Americans. 
we finally all get off the couches that we're sitting on. And so we get up not 30 seconds after the last of my team stood up and took five steps forward. The jumbotron, this huge uh, screen, multiple screens together on rigging, it collapses and it just falls straight down on the couches where we were sitting. Uh, all of us, the Pakistani team and my team would have all been at the very least critically injured, most likely killed. Hmm. It's the kind of rigging that they host hoist up sound systems when they're in arenas, even here yeah. in the West. It was a big deal. We watched 40 men crawl over top of it after it fell and try to pick it up, and they, they could. Couldn't do it. So that falls down. Then, so we finally, now we're waving the flag saying, thank you, Jesus, for Pakistan. We love the Pakistani flag. <laughs> Because that's what got us up off the couches, you know. But uh, we move on with the service. The people out, out, in the, out in the audience, they don't understand. They saw the screen come down, but they don't realize where it hit and what yeah. would have happened. So we just go on with the service. And as we do, I'm preaching in point number one, it starts raining. We're in the middle of a desert. It only rains in the desert a little bit in late July, yeah. early August. This is March. It's raining. I look at my translator, who's also the director of that ministry there, Pastor Ash, and I said, what do we do? He said, give the altar call. And I can see the people. They were anxious before. Now the, the back half of this crowd is terrified. I mean, mm -hmm. they are terrified. You can tell that this is supernatural. I can yeah. feel it. Yeah. And, and I'm not a real sensitive person spiritually. So um, we start giving the altar call, and, and people are coming to the altar. Well, afterwards... Dr. Paul says, all those guys around the back in that semicircle, right at the edge of the light and the darkness, he said, they're all, those are all praying against us. Every hmm. one of them is, um, is here for that reason. Hmm. So we had an experience in that event where you, you recognize that the spiritual realm has power, both, both the light and the dark. Now, we know that there is unlimited power with the king of glory, but... Uh, the king of darkness has his power as well. Yeah. What do you think is one of the, you just said that the kingdom of God has unlimited power. What are some of the barriers you see in, in our day and age for people believing that and living in that? In the West, it's certainly information, technology, or knowledge. Hmm. Uh, knowledge is the kind of the biblical word. And Paul warns, well, I shouldn't say Paul, the Holy Spirit warns about that in Corinthians over and over. I mean, Paul is just really anointed there by the Holy Spirit to in, inflict upon us yeah. the, the terror that we should have about knowledge, human knowledge, and the pursuit of that and the exaltation of that. Hmm. Um, in the East, I'm not quite a short, although in much of the East that is um, wealthy, yeah. it seems like it's, you know, the same. Yeah. Technology is bringing us to a place where we say, well, I'm sure heaven's kind of cool, but have you seen this $10 million house? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I know God is, is pretty good, but he doesn't know everything that Google knows. Yeah. So that's, that's a real problem. Yeah. Um, in much of the uh, developing world, um, outside of the West, the poor developing world. It's certainly that need for power to survive. Hmm. You know, they're seeking whatever they can to help them so that their crops don't die or so that their kid doesn't die. You know, it's, 
the reality of this of this world and the pace of this world, even in the developing nations, uh, causes people to have this dread and anxiety. And even most believers haven't learned, they don't have a rich enough spiritual life with Jesus to come into a place where each day they're delivered from that. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Well, Pastor Doug, what, what is one question I should have asked or I should have asked you that I didn't? <laughs> um, are we seeing a more of the demonic in the day and time in which we live? Or the other question might be, I get asked this all the time. I don't know if, if you and your, your listeners do, but I get asked, why don't we see this in America hmm. or the West? And of course, I already alluded to the fact that if, if you hang your sign out that says, I pray for people. <laughs> uh, my brother-in-law called me a couple of weeks ago and it, we've been close for many years. And anyways, he said, Hey, how you doing? I said, really good. And he was asking me stuff about life. And I got quiet for a second. He said, can you come and help me? And I said, help you do what? He said, well, I got a guy that's demon possessed. And I just felt like you could come and help me. I said, no, I have enough demons in my own neighborhood. I don't need to come and find and deal with your demons. So if you will put your sign out that you pray with people, and let me encourage all of you as believers, Again, I don't think there's this really clearly defined roadmap for this. I think you pray and you rely on the Holy Spirit. And if you take time, like I always pray with people in what I think of as concentric circles. So I tell hmm. them, listen, sit down. I don't want you to do anything. You don't have to say anything. Just agree with me as I pray for you. This first go around is going to be 10, 15 minutes. And I'm going to name things that you know everybody and their brother struggles with. We're going to name fear and we're going to name anxiety. And, and sometimes I'm a calm of spirit, but yeah. whether you think of it that way or not, it doesn't matter. But when I get to that third circle, if I'm doing my job and the Holy Spirit's working, I'll be saying things, I'll be naming things that only you and God know. Hmm. If we do that, we will find that there is just as much of the enemy's presence and work here in the West and in America as there is anywhere else in the world. Hmm. So what do I get asked? Why don't we see it? And I always tell people, I don't know why you don't see it. I see it all the time. I get yeah. phone calls, you know, yeah. and people bringing their kids in here. It's always, it seems like for us here, it's always young people, but that's the question I think that a lot of people wrestle with. And then I tell them, okay, if you want to see it, visible outdoors and people reacting, their body reacting, and then you know, travel with me or others. There are a lot of other people who are seeing it internationally as well. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, Pastor Doug, this has been uh, a phenomenal time to spend with you today. Will you pray for us? Will you pray for missionaries around the world that um, maybe, you know, they, they've left the, the West, they've left the United States, and now they're serving in a country where they they're seeing them physical manifestations. Maybe they're feeling it in their spirit. Um, pray for them to have confidence and to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. And, um, and uh, yeah, just the confidence that you've shared about today that we have in Jesus. I'd love to. Team, let me emphasize that. What Pastor Aaron just said is so critical, that the Holy Spirit. And all of us know there's no shortcut, that you've got to develop a really rich life with Jesus. There, there is no other way because without that, our flesh just dominates. So I'm going to pray for you to really have a revelation 
of how rotten the flesh is. It, it just can't be really rehabilitated. It can't be redeemed, rescued, renewed. It can't be reconciled. Mm-hmm. And that fight is there all the time, the Holy Spirit says. Paul told us that clearly, and uh, Peter did as well. These lusts war against our very soul. So let's let's believe, number one, that the Holy Spirit will help us discern the flesh and how exalted it is. And then number two, that as you guys and gals feel that oppression, and sometimes, yeah, you come from the West or America where you don't always sense it or discern it into a place where ooh, you do because lots of people are going through that process that I mentioned earlier. They're assessing, is this, yeah. do I have the best power? And so that spiritual reality is kind of always at the surface. Mm. So let's pray that you don't get overwhelmed by that. Father, thank you so much for this incredible vehicle, tool in your hands, this podcast, Lord. And thank you for those that are a a part of the journey, Pastor Aaron. I know that they have been enriched and empowered over the, the many months or years this thing has been growing, feeding people. Thank you for that. Lord, we are nothing but what we are, we are in your hands. There's nothing we can do of our own strength or power. I pray for missionaries, Lord, people who are serving. They, they left their home place. They left their source of comfort and roots. And they're trying to get rooted in a new place, Lord. And part of the spiritual reality in that new place is very different than where they've been before. I pray, Lord, that you would equip them with a rich spiritual life, a walk with you, that if nothing else happens, if nobody is impacted by their spiritual walk. If nobody is touched, if no churches are planted, no nations are changed, that they will say at the end of the day, at the end of their life, I'm so glad for how God chose to spend my life because it has been rich towards him. I've had a fulfilling life because I've learned who Jesus is. I've spent time with him, not like I'm going to when I see him eye to eye, but I've spent time with him in faith. Blessed are those who have not seen. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would equip your missionary family to go beyond them, to go out and to serve and to see, to see broken, restored, to see fallen, picked up, to see hopeless, encouraged, to see the dark, leave the dark, and become part of the light. I pray that they would have confidence in the Holy Spirit, that there are no special preachers or prayer partners or, or people who are generals in, in the Lord's army, and they are, they're the ones anointed to do spiritual warfare. I pray for your brothers, my brothers and sisters, your sons and daughters, that they would just go because they've been sent by the Holy Spirit. Lord, may they... May they see the captive set free. May they see demons driven out. And may they see that person who was once tormented, fearful, and hopeless. May they see that person in their right mind, spiritually clothed with garments of righteousness and walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, thank you for what you're doing. Touch Brother Aaron and his family minister to them, use them, uh, continue to use them in the nations around the world. We thank you for the mighty name of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, our soon coming King. Amen.